Hello and welcome to the Six Ways from Sunday podcast. My name is Ben Wilson and today I am so excited to be on Zoom with my friend Vic Mirage who is the co-founder of Unstoppable Conversations. And Vic, you're joining me from your home office in Edmonton, right? I am indeed. How are you doing? I'm great. It's great to be with you. Yeah, it's been a little while. Uh, we have had quite a number of actually opportunities to work together or be in um, different workshops together where uh, we've either been collaborating, either me behind the camera or me as involved as a participant. I went through the Being a Leader course with you in Edmonton a few years ago. And uh, I was encouraged to invite you on the podcast because we have a workshop coming up here in Basha that you're going to be leading. So we're going to talk about that for sure. Mm. But you have mm -hmm. been on my wish list of guests for the Six Ways from Sunday podcast uh, for a while now. And so I'm mm. really excited that today we're finally making that happen. And I have a lot of other questions that I'd love to explore with you and just have some really unstructured, freeform conversation to pull some of your story uh, out and share that with our listeners. So mm. where to begin? How did, this is a big question, but mm. how did you sort of get into doing the work that you do with Unstoppable Conversations? Then. And if, you know, if you could share some of that origin story with us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I did, uh, well, I'll start at the end. And, well, that's not really the end, but I'll start at what, I don't know how would I say it. I, I was, I was, I was obviously born. <laughs> I'm just a dumb way to begin. Your, I was obviously born at some point. Did get you know that? People. Isn't that shocking? Get from yeah. This is going to be a long story. <laughs> I promise it's actually super short. See, there's a point I was born. Okay, good. That was my birth. I entered the world. And then there was the day in February 2008 that I woke up. And I really do differentiate those two, two moments in life. Not one I can't remember the day I was born. But I can tell you the day I woke up. It was in the, a program called the Lamarck Forum. And my my marriage was, uh, you know, brutal. And it was, you know, I've been married by that time for five years with to my um, wife, Cheryl. And uh, I couldn't, uh, it was going downhill. We would argue more. Um, in my opinion, you know, I was right. And uh, she was wrong. And... I get out of this kind of dynamic with her where we would argue and res resent each other a little bit more, argue, resent each other a little bit more. And then, I don't know, I forget who said it. You know, the death of a marriage is not when you're angry at each other. It's when you're so disgusted by the pattern of the other person that you literally have a sense of disinterest. So you, just, you actually stop reacting. You're just so resigned. It's just, uh-huh. And that is the last phase of the end of a relationship is complete apathy. Mm -hmm. So we were not quite there, but I could see it in the horizon. And then uh, one of my clients at the time who actually has to, when you said co-founder of Unstoppable, the other co-founder is Kevin Gangle, which happens to be, he, I think he was on the podcast before. He was. Yep. And he, this character was a client of mine at one point. He heard me keynote at the 
some conference and he said, Hey, do you coach? I said, yep. So I coached him. And then soon he got, uh, we became friends and then he, uh, dug out of me that my marriage was brutal. And then he mentioned this course, the Lamarck forum. I said, no, thanks, Kev. I am the coach. Notice that. Now I couldn't see that that was more of what was crushing my marriage, a sense of superiority, arrogance. I know more than you. And of course, mm. that's all invisible to me. That's just what there is to tell Kevin. Thank you for attempting to contribute to my ultimate genius, Kevin. But as you know, <laughs> I am your coach. So this guy was so persistent. He said it, I don't know, five, six times in a row in every month. He'd say, how's it going? I'd say, brutal. And he'd go, have you thought about, no, Kevin, I have not thought anymore. He'd go, the next month I'd meet him, I'd coach him. He'd go, he'd go how's the marriage? i go, not so good. Have you? No, Kev, I told you. Anyway, the fifth, sixth time this guy did it, I just wanted to get him off my back. And I finally said, fine, I'll do your stupid program. And uh, that was actually the best way I could save face at the same time. Because I'm a genius, you know. I don't need any help. Why would I need your help? Look how smart I am. So that was a good way to get the help. <laughs> but under the disguise of my uh, fury and wrath. Yeah, yeah. So then the short story is, I, I then it took another six months to uh, convince my wife. And then we had a baby at the time and one in the oven. Anyway, at that time, we, we went to Vancouver, did the program, and in, in uh, so somewhere on Saturday, we did it together, yep. Yeah, it was about 170 people, and I hated it, hated it, hated it, hated it on Friday. It was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I swore I'd never come back. <clears throat> and then uh, the leader had the berry. I remember he said, well, wherever you're at's fine. Just let whatever happened today you know, work on you overnight. I was like, what an asshole. How dare you tell me where I'm at is fine. I'll tell you where I'm at, and I'll tell you if it's not fine or not. More of my stuff. And then true to form, this, you know, for me on Saturday morning, I don't know why, but I felt a little better. And I thought to myself, that guy's such an idiot. Okay, fine. Yeah, I, I feel better. And I came back. And then somewhere on Saturday morning, I actually interacted with him, and I got to see that – um what was running my life was a real need to prove myself, a real need to be right, a real need to be smart. And I really did get to see that that was some kind of an adaptation that I had created for myself since I was a kid. Uh, particularly when I came to Canada, I had some sense of inferiority or, you know, not enough or uh, I don't belong here. And you don't have to be an immigrant to feel that. You just, move to Basha from somewhere else <laughs> or you move to, you yeah. know, Alex or you, you know, you move from rural to the big city or big city. Rural. Look, it doesn't really matter. You know, you got the wrong name. You're too tall, too small, too fat, too skinny. You get zits all of a sudden. It doesn't take much for a kid to have some sense of not fitting. Mm -hmm. But what I really discovered in that experience was how I, made it through was to forfeit a real authentic me and create being smart so that I would prove to you that you need me. 
Now, of course, I couldn't see how annoying it was to people. And it would eventually threaten my marriage. Because when I invented being smart and a know-it-all, and I thought it was doing the right thing. I thought that's what would have me fit. And to some extent, it worked. But when I got older, it, it, it bit me in the ass. But I could never see that. Well, you'd, I'm sure you would agree that you didn't realize that you had gone and invented that. You just, that was Perfectly just the said. way you were, you were being without realizing you were even being it. Look, man, totally. You know, I tell you in grade one, when I, I came, I was born in Guyana, South America, Georgetown, Guyana, and I came here at six. And on the, my first day of grade one, I was the only brown guy in a white school. I mean, literally there was like zero colored Asian, uh, you know, thank God there were girls. So there was some, some diversity. Okay. But it was like that in 1974. And I, uh, I remember the first day of class I stood up because I would do this in Guyana with all the other kids. You just you have to go to the bathroom, you stand up. And obviously, why wouldn't you yell? You're going to the bathroom and whoever wants to go goes and the teacher doesn't care. Now, that was the rules of engagement in Guyana. In Kensington Elementary School, I stood up, of course, the same rules of engagement. Duh. And I stood up and I yelled at the top of my lungs at the top because I don't want anybody to not miss this. And I said in my broken, broken Guyanese accent, I said, anybody want to come wee wee with me? I didn't say with, uh, I said with. Okay. And I said it all in a very Trinidadian, West Indian, Guyanese, Trinidadian, Jamaican y. That's the kind of dialect down there. And then I remember everybody froze solid. Like they, they were literally moving to go out the door because it was recess. And they literally, it's like what I said paralyzed them. Yeah. Except their necks. Their necks swiveled back to look at me in the middle of the room, including the teachers. It was like weird. Nobody moved except their necks. And they looked at me and nobody said anything. And in that moment, I had the experience of being so alone, so not part of this. So what have you gone and done? Now it's over. Now you've now you've been found out. How much you don't fit has just been announced. Yeah. And I remember in that moment when I explored it, that was one of the moments where I made a pivotal decision that I don't belong. And I remember I went home that day and I went, and I only remembered this from the uh, opportunity and the safety of this unique work we do now to um, explore it. Because I didn't even remember this until Mm. I was given a chance to explore. Like you said, how did you? How did you get to be this? Yeah. Why Why didn't you get to be controlling, anal, tough, a bully? Uh, why didn't you comb your hair over your face? Why didn't you become a dancer? Why didn't you? Like, there's a million things, million personality types. One simple argument is, oh, it's genetic. No, I got a master's in genetic. It ain't genetic. I'll tell you right now. By the way, I have a master's in genetic, which I don't even know has any relevance anymore, but well, there it is. It's relevant. It ain't genetic. Okay. <laughs> there is, there is a source of how you become you. And then when I looked, man, I remember going home that night and making my mouth, literally my lips say the word the, which for anybody born in the Caribbean or maybe even Africa or wherever, Spanish or, you know, you know, I work in Europe now, Ukrainian, Slovak, the, you, you don't, the is a dumb word. What do you mean, the? Who says that? T-H, the, but 
I was going to go home and I was going to master saying r- the right thing so I would never have to experience that again. Mm-hmm. But in the process, I didn't see I forfeited the kind of self-expressed, authentic, exuberant me that stood up that day. That me you would never see again. Right. But boy, you would see a real good speaking, smart, well-articulated, and eventually in a, as a teen, charming fellow. Yeah. Fake as hell, but man, likable. So then when I discovered if, if I can discover this kind of freedom to return myself to that state of being where I was free, free to be, like really just free to be, no, not having to be a certain way, free to be. Man, I want that for everybody. So now Unstoppable is Kevin and I's um, invention. And uh, the work we do is to provide that, uh, you know, quite honestly, gift to whoever wants it, organizationally, individually, like that. Yeah. It, it sounds like what you're describing, Vic, is what some might refer to as like to be spiritually fully self-actualized, right? To be mm. To be authentically yourself and to be... Um, to be living at, at this higher frequency of like your, mm. your highest calling, right? We have a lot of terms mm-hmm. um, yes. in the world of spirituality that we yeah, all valid, created all valid. That kind of yeah. all point to, so I'm curious, like this was quite a number of years ago. Um, what, what year did you guys found unstoppable? 2011. Okay. So yeah, 11 years ago, right. Um, in in your coaching and in your work with Kevin through Unstoppable and, and through Landmark, because I know you're involved with Landmark as well as a facilitator in different roles. Do you encounter this resistance to like, oh, that's, you know, all that stuff is like for people who are, who are all woo-woo and, and you know, new agey or, and spiritual um, when you're like, because you guys work with big businesses, you work with large organizations, you work with government leaders. Um, but we're, but all of those people are still humans <laughs> who have all of the same stuff going on mentally and spiritually and emotionally that all of us are, are wrestling with. But is there sometimes that resistance to like, oh, well, you know, well, we maybe need a consultant, but we don't need, uh, we don't need a coach to talk to us about our childhood, uh, traumas. Yeah. 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 For sure. That, that, um, for sure we encounter that that as you said resistance um and you know i don't i don't actually have anything going on about that resistance that whenever uh these days we don't encounter it as much uh as the early days as you're pointing to because these days the kind of um impact our work has now been uh proven to make is uh, makes those kind of that kind of critical criticality irrelevant. Mm. And you can't, yeah. and you know, I'll, I'll spare you some of the uh, the details. But now, now is not so much. Once in a while, I still do. But that, whenever I encounter that, that that resistance, that skepticism, uh, that carefulness is almost invariably part of what that traps that person everywhere. Right. 
<laughs> yeah. I so got it. it's yeah. So I got. I mean, look. I mean, I'm. I'm. You know, I'm preaching the converted here. I. I. I was that, and I can still be that. So one thing I like about the nature of our work, you're never cured. <laughs> that wait. That's the good news. <laughs> it is the good news. I tell you, because otherwise, there's a real false sense of having arrived. Mm. And I tell you, I haven't met somebody yet who likes to be preached at by someone who apparently has arrived because everybody knows it's bullshit that they've arrived anywhere, but they certainly think they've arrived. And you know what? Maybe they have something good to say to me. So I'm going to forgive them or include this kind of falsity that they think they've arrived because what they have to say is too good. So I'm going to kind of tolerate their arrivalness. You know, like they came on down from the mountain and they're going to tell me some truth because I'm so stupid. If I just live from their great, wonderful arriveness, I too can be like them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I've met anybody who really loves the experience of you can be like me too. Oh, uh, no, and that's, no kidding. I, yeah. Uh, just ask my wife. <laughs> How many times I've tried to fix her or <laughs> how well that goes. I, I, yeah, I've always had this thing of like, you know, your, you, you, you talked about your, um, early childhood, uh, invention being like, I'm going to make myself indispensable. I'm going to, I'm going to be this genius, smart, important person and look at how great I am. I, my, mine is kind of similar. And I decided early on that I was going to be the achiever and the, um, the solution provider and the the smart the smart one that could you know fix everything and so then i I would apply that without even realizing it to my kids to my marriage to my mm. business partner to everything like oh well, I know the solution and and then that innate human need to just be right is so unquenchable and it, and you don't even realize it's driving you until you've already you know destroyed the thing that you're trying to uh the, the, that thing that you cherish and value whatever it is a relationship usually um and i'm really fortunate and blessed that uh like in my marriage kelly and i are able to have the kinds of conversations where we can call each other out and we both have gone through the landmark forum as well which helped us immensely um and but part of it is just that kelly is wired to not be terrified of conflict the way i am where if there's she's a, not she's not terrified no so she grew up mm. um, being able to just do conflict and, you know, yeah. one of four girls. And then pass you know, the potatoes. Go, yeah, exactly. The, her and her three sisters would have a big fight. And then exactly, pass the potatoes. Let's go out to a movie together. We're all still best friends. And I just was not that way. <laughs> and I'm still not. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> if I all of a sudden couldn't think of another question to ask you, Vic, and felt, oh, you know, we're in the middle of this live podcast and all, I, all of a sudden I failed, I would, my yeah. blood pressure would instantly just like yeah. react like, oh man, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm failing. Uh, yeah. So and that'll, that'll be coupled up with my man. I hope you don't ask me a question I can't answer because then I'll go right back to not belonging. <laughs> right so you you really truly can't run away from it you can't even like we we work on ourselves people who are you know great like me and you and have this <laughs> willingness to be self-analytical and go and take courses and be coached 
Uh, and some people are more coachable than other people, and you get the you uh, reap the reward of that. Of that, if you're willing to to work on yourself, you're willing to look at your life and your behavior and your way of being. There's there's latitude to improve our lives immensely by going to work on that stuff for sure. Yeah. But what's what I think is hilarious, and we're both pointing to here, is that um, the stuff that needs to be to be worked on sometimes that's what drives you into like, well, I'm going to do this like self development work even better than anybody else in the group, right? Yes. <laughs> You're, yeah. you're bringing it right with you into that course or yeah. into that program totally. or that session and workshop. And you, well, even once you've arrived, graduated, whatever, yeah. it's still with you every single day. Yeah. And to- look, man, that's, that's such a great point, right? Cause that, 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 you know, given the nature of this podcast has a real kind of spiritual commitment, right? Like, you know, that if just what you said, and then we go to church or the mosque, or uh, the synagogue, or the sweat, or in Hinduism, the mandir, or you name it, you pick, you pick it. And then we, we engage in a conversation for something higher. But the question is, what's listening? What's participating? the the human being that's participating in a spiritual conversation that spiritual conversation is being filtered through that person's past you know i, I, I like man i tell you to put a fine point on it there there are many people i've worked with that in their past and and most people do have something about their parents nobody got out alive as a kid. <laughs> and you know, the ones I'm most suspicious of are the ones who say their parents are perfect. That person I know that's got so much going on between them and their parents, they won't even acknowledge some of the quote unquote bad stuff that's there between them and their parents. So they have to tell everybody how perfect it is. But most people, if they look into their lives, they see something going on. They resent one or both their parents for yelling at them, hitting at them, hitting them. You know, three out of two, two out of three or three out of four women are abused. That's the stats. It's nuts. Uh, people divorce. See, all that that goes on for a kid, the kid wears. If somebody divorces, it's their fault. If they get hit, it's their fault. And then they come up with conclusions like my dad doesn't love me or my mom doesn't love me. Or see, because they got to explain it. Mm-hmm. How does somebody who apparently says they love you? And look, I look around every other parent's uh, kid's parent, I, my friends, and they seem to be getting love. How can mine do this thing? Oh, I know as a kid, my conclusion is you don't really love me. I'm not lovable. And yeah. I'm not lovable. Oh, I must not matter. I don't matter. And people don't see, they walk into adulthood with those hidden conclusions about themselves. And check this out. Now they go to church. And they're have they're hearing this conversation, you know. And depending on what what faith you are, if it's a you know more of a Christian faith, you'll hear something. You hear this word "father." You hear this word "father" said a lot. But see what that 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 parishioner or that person that person sitting there in that pew doesn't see 
is they already have a whole bunch of meaning around the word father. They don't see that have a whole lot of meaning around the word father. And they can't see their already constructed meaning around the word father, their father, who didn't love them, apparently, and shouldn't have done that and should have done this, is actually in between them and this other father. They can't see that this invisible lens, this invisible whatever this is, is mediating their relationship to the father is mediated through their father and whatever they made their father mean. And they can't see their relationship with every woman, girl, is somehow limited to their relationship with their mother. Mm-hmm. Now, these are outrageous claims I'm making, okay? I, I get that. Too simple, Vic. Way too simple. People are way more complex than that. Yeah, well, come do our work. (laughs) And you'll see how ridiculously, absurdly simple it is. So can you share some examples with us, Vic, of you talked about these enormous results. And it is like, once you see how common and simple the the root for so many people is of all of the the breakdowns in relationships and organizations and structures and all of the stuff that's just built by humans right like the the institution of the capital C church whatever denomination or faith that is it's all mm. you know humanly created Uh, organizations and institutions and belief systems and structures that uh, that we've built over over the centuries and 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 we carry into that all of the baggage and all of the constraints of being human beings so Mm. i'm sure you've seen in your work just that you, you i'm sure you laugh at how how frequently these enormous breakdowns come down to come back down to the same exact basic, basic, simple things that so many mm-hmm. of us struggle with of mm-hmm. around not being enough or around, you know, fear of not proving it or yeah, like all just a different flavor. Right. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about some of the results that you see when there's a massive mm-hmm. breakthrough in people who mm-hmm. are in power or people who are in roles of leadership when they mm. really get the opportunity to see what's in the way mm-hmm. for them mm-hmm. individually and for the organizations that they're providing mm-hmm. leadership in, what is what becomes available? What what do you see shift and happen? Yeah, well, okay, I'll, sh- I'll share uh, I share uh, some of the work we've done in uh, Europe in in uh, in per- particularly Slovakia which used to be Czechoslovakia and then Czech Republic, Slovakia. So I was invited over there uh, six, seven years ago to, to, to do some work with uh, initially about three or four graduates of the Lamarck Forum and this kind of work. And they, they, they know that personally this work makes a difference. But at that time, there were, um, you know, one of the things that most – if not all European countries deal with is a real radical radicalism, a real undertone of fascism 
that has been there since World War One, World War Two, fascism, neo-Nazism, so on and so forth. It's not something we deal as much here as as prevalent. We have our own versions of racism and so on. But that's a very particular kind of racism over there that's right under the surface. So I got invited over there because it it, it kind of bubbled to the top. There was a, there, I can't remember, 2015, I believe it was. It was like, for the first time in history, 14 neo-Nazis were elected to the Slovak parliament. Wow. Almost 10% of the parliamentarians, and I use that for, for term loosely, were 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 of a ideology of Nazism. Now that's you think that's shocking, but that's not that uncommon in some European countries. That that's what's right there, simmering, simmering. So I got together with fifty self-appointed leaders. They have no right to want to change the country. They have no authority. Well, actually, a couple of them did. They were government, were senior government people. Uh, others are CEOs of, of major companies. Others were um, executive directors of uh, important not-for-profits. Others were church leaders. Um, uh, one one guy was a reporter, a real a well-known reporter. One was a newscaster. Like just, these are like people in society that just had enough and they don't know where to go. And they heard about something that could make a difference at a personal level at a corporate level, but are hoping beyond hope that this, whoever this guy is and whatever he's bringing can make a difference at a, at a, at a nation level. No pressure. No pressure. Right. And not like I got something in my, my, uh, tickle trunk to say, Oh yeah, here, here's what happened here. I got nothing. I got nothing. So when I went over there, we met for three days in the basement of a, of a, of a, you know, thousand-year-old church in the middle of Bratislava, old town in Slovakia. And what happened there was we explored their past, but not just their individual past, their collective past. Because one thing you're pointing to is, okay, each of us has a personal past. You know, uh, Debbie didn't like, didn't uh, shove my Valentine back in my face when I was in grade one, and she liked Bobby, and I, you know, had a crooked nose, and now I got rejected. Actually, that happened in grade four, Vic, but you're, you're close. Oh, it's a grade four for you. <laughs> See, Debbie makes the rounds rejecting people. I tell you, it wasn't just me, right? So, you know, and then, oh, there's my past. And I came up with a way to make sense of her giving me my Valentine's back called. I'm rejected. Oh, that reinforces I don't matter and I'm not lovable. And then I go through life finding more and more evidence. Why do I find it? Because I keep looking through this stupid lens, which is bound to find what it's looking for. But I don't see any of that. I'm just a regular person. I'm very busy taking the kids to soccer, making ends meet. I don't have time to explore all this stuff. I'm busy ruining my life. I'm not going to do some stupid course like yours. Anyway, so I go to Slovakia, and every one of them has a collective past informed by the history of that region. So in the basement of this church, we're exploring how can 14 neo-Nazis get elected when there's so many people willing and able to do such good, how come? How come? And as we explore it, we see from their history uh, of a thousand years, they've never been sovereign. They've always had somebody 
ruling them. We discovered that in 1989, when the Berlin Wall fell, so did uh, the Iron Curtain around Slovakia and the Czech Republic. So democracy is relatively new, 1990. We see that, uh, oh, the Austro-Hungarian Empire had a lot to say about how it went for Slovaks. We see that in 1945, when you know the war was ending, World War II, under the Nazi occupation, there was kind of a lot of collaboration going on, a lot of shame with not that they that that was that was there. We see that you know a number of families ratted other families out for a piece of bread, that they're in the resistance. Whoa, we start to see a lot of distinct history that were in previous generations that made its way to this generation. Mm-hmm. Why? Because shame's transmitted. Ask any German. You know that the German military budget until this year didn't go up one cent. This is wow. decades. Oh, gee, I wonder why the German military budget ain't going up one cent. Why do you think, Ben? Yeah, intergenerational shame. Yeah, we're not going to signal to the world we're anywhere like that anymore. See how yeah. good we are now? Now, the Ukraine war happens and it goes up quite a bit, but that one has just barely got through the filter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't worry, Canada will deny its residential school experience till the cows come home. Yeah. There's a guy hired to do a, a, a museum here. Two of them. Well, and the the guy that was hired to do the museum here was hired by the by the Holocaust Museum in New York. He's amazing. One thing the Germans are amazing at is making it obvious that they remember. Mm-hmm. They're clear. They're totally clear. They're hiding nothing. Canadians, not so much. The guy who did the Holocaust Museum in New York, hired to do the thing here in Edmonton, fired. Really? No, he wants he wants to make it obvious. No, 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 no. Don't worry, Canada is the country that gave apartheid to South Africa, by the way. So, anyway, a minor segue then. In Slovakia, they're informed by hundreds of years of this history. So how does it play out now? And by the way, one other little ditty. If you listen to Slovak nursery rhymes, they're informed by Austrian and German nursery rhymes. And if you ever, if anybody's listening this German, you'll know what I'm talking about. The kind of nursery rhymes and fairy tales, like grim fairy tales, they're not something you should read a kid for bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> because in that psyche expressed in the nursery rhymes and fairy tales is a lot of one thing, trickery. Trickery. Okay. Now. What's the big deal? That's just in a nursery rhyme. Nope. See, all of that, you sold a family out for a piece of bread. All of that survival, what we discovered working together is the the concern, fear, worry for being tricked is embedded in the way people live there. Mm -hmm. And when they saw that, they saw they have 120 plus registered political parties for a country of five and a half million. Canada's what, 40 million? We got what, three? Real, you know, three that go for it, four, five, right? Fine. We got maybe 20 something in the books. 
No, they got 120 registered and about 50 of them go for it. Wow. Why? Because they try and come together. These people in the room, all good people, try and come together. They know they got to unite to end it, to end the fascism. They got. They know they got to do that, but they'll come very close. And nine out of 10 things are the same, but one is different. And you know what? Forget about it. I'm just going to start my own party because you are not going to trick me in the end. Wow. So all that happens is one person comes in. Marian Kotleba, his name is, five, seven years ago, was the head of the neo-Nazi party. And he's got slightly more unity because the lies, he says, unify a small group of fascists. But their little bit more unity is like a tiny little bowling ball that knocks down all the good guys who are bowling pins, who can't get their act together. Ta-da! 14 neo-Nazis in parliament. Wow. That's really scary that that's possible. That that can happen. So what? Oh, they, so you have this group of people that have yeah. gathered, um, self-appointed sort of. You know, we want to just do something about this. Sounds like a little uh, Star Wars rebellion kind of. Yes. Atmosphere. <laughs> throughout time, throughout time, as I think um, Margaret Mead, uh, a great anthropologist, said, "Never doubt the power of a small group of committed citizens to change history." Indeed. It's only ever been a small group of committed citizens that's ever changed history. It's never the government. It's mm-hmm. never what's popular. It's always the rebellion, as you said, Ben, right? So, what so can here's you what guys happens. do? Well, here's what happens. We, there's, a, there's a major CEO and there's a young politician that got elected. The CEO, we're looking at what we call this default context that runs the show for all of them, this context that's between each of them. And at one point, she sees she sees it. She sees her inherited 100-year-old filter for this young politician coming out of Nazism, communism. Now, this one young politician just got elected, full of spit and vinegar, 20-something years old, wants to make a difference, enters politics to try and change it. Now, the CEO sitting there next to her, and she starts to kind of get, she starts to get really agitated. And I look at her and I say, so what do you see? What do you see? What are you present to as your filter for that other politician? She says, I can't say it. I said, what do you mean you can't say it? She goes, I just can't say it. I said, you can say it. What is it? She goes, okay. She goes, all politicians are pigs and bitches. That's literally her language. And then I watch 90% of the other people nod their head up and down in unconscious agreement. Why? Because in communism, everyone was corrupt. Wow. So now in democracy, anybody who's a democratically elected leader wears the stigma of being corrupt. And this young politician, listen, her name is Veronica, starts to listen. She starts to cry. She go, And then after a while, she goes, oh, my God, that completely explains the day after I was elected why my friends and family are emailing me back saying, why aren't you responding to my emails like you used to? Why aren't you responding to my phone calls like you used to? You pig. Yeah, yeah. It's just you know, in... and then all... so and then how, Lucia. How is it that uh-huh. I don't want to take you off track from your story, Vic? Um, but just one question that's popping up for me in in your sharing of this story is 
have you sort of got a handle on or have some kind of explanation for how it is that a group of a room full of people or a community of people or a country of millions of people can have can form this collective filter or this collector collective lens or context as you put it that taints every new possible experience that you know prevents them from really truly um creating something new without anything going on in their in their head about it yeah like i get how you got yours and i get how i got mine from our childhoods yeah. as individuals but it, yeah. there is this sort of emergent property of yes. the collective as well that yes. we didn't ever agree that we were going to all decide yeah. that all politicians are pigs but we all nod our heads in silent agreement that yeah that's just known yeah you ready for the where simple answer i'll give you one from? one where does that come from i'll give you one word that'll give you get your head thinking ready sorry Sorry. Sorry. What country says that a lot? <laughs> Canadians. Sorry. It's constant. Canadians. Yeah. See how you know that already? Yeah. Sorry. Where does that come from? I you know, know, Israelis don't say sorry a lot. You know, if you're in Brooklyn, there's no sorry. <laughs> it's a good question, right? Where does the shared understanding or shared filter how does it emerge? How does it get established? How does it remain stable? That's a hell of a question, ain't it? It just feels like you it's this uh, code that's written into people's DNA or operating system. It's like, here's your here's yours. Here's <laughs> good luck. Yours. Good luck trying oh, to get, do you live here? get rid of it. Here's yours. Oh, here's your do you live over there? Yours is slightly bluer. Oh, is yeah. yours? Yours is gold. But see, it doesn't matter which one. It doesn't matter which one you get based on where you are. You will get one is the take home. Mm -hmm. And it will be reinforced by that area. Yes. Yeah. Like, look, you know, who knows why in every, almost every rural town doctors leave? I'll tell you why. Ready for why? why? Because generation after generation, Everyone talks to their young young children and then teenagers about how doctors are going to leave. Right. That's the conversation. Do you know that that doctor is likely going to leave? Now, if you're a kid and you hear, hear your kids talking about how doctors are likely to leave, do you think that you start to think doctors are people who likely leave? Now, when you start to think what your parents told you is true, that doctors will likely leave. How the hell do you think you interact with a doctor in town? He's just like you're going to stick yeah. around. He's just going to leave anyway. Yeah, he's going to leave anyway. So the kind of personal relationship I develop with the doctor who's going to leave ain't so hot. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're the doctor, do you got a lot of close friends? Probably not. No, nope. <laughs> small town. Jeez, when you don't have a lot of close friends in a small town, what do you do? You leave. You leave. So all these self-fulfilling prophecies and these positive feedback loops that, that take us out at different levels, they, there's no shortage of examples. There's no shortage of things you can point to, like, there it is again. What 
and 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 feel free to you know uh, keep this answer short so we can <laughs> wrap up your your Slovakia yeah. story too. But how do you decide, like, okay, what I really want to devote my professional life towards is X? Like, do you have a specific thing that you're out to change and like a stand that you're taking in the world that you're, I mean, there, let's face it, there's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of, you use the word uh, kind of simmering uh, just below the surface, like neo-Nazism is just one of way too many things that are, um, you know, so deserving of people to devote their lives to. What are you, what has you so fired up that you want to, really transform and change in the world well the the real simple uh uh purpose that we as a, we as a company exist for is to create a world that works because we say the world doesn't work it, it works for a few mm-hmm. and when it, when something works for a few it doesn't work hey my one of my tires on my bike is really inflated and has all the spokes in hey my bike works for a few it, my bike works for my wheel how see how stupid that is yeah. no your bike doesn't work i don't care if your wheel works your bike doesn't work so for us we are out to create a world that works for everyone by the way including the neo nazis now try and wrap your head around that one. So that's a perfect segue to, to bring us back to Slovakia. Yeah. What? Uh, yeah, that's right. What happened there? So what happened is when that politician heard that that default filter for her shared by so many, mm-hmm. it hit home to explain why she was experiencing what she was experiencing. When the CEO who coughed it up saw the politicians being impacted by that, she started to cry. She got the impact of her invisible filter that she inherited. She started to see no wonder no politician can make a difference. We're not going to let them. And then as we went through each of their filters for each other, both as a sector, Oh, corporate people are greedy. They don't care. Politicians are all corrupt. The NGO sector thinks they're above it all, like they're martyrs or holier than thou. We saw all these filters come together. They start to they started to see this is how we destroy collaboration. Mm. These inherited conversations destroy all of it. So Ben, what happened a few months later is there was a um, it was all over the news in Europe. There was an assassination of an investigative reporter who is a friend of one of the people in the workshop. Him and his girlfriend were assassinated, literally contract killing for, inv- for investigating mob ties to the government. Now, this is not new in Eastern Europe. But for the first time in history, these people found a way to come together. And together, each of them, 50 of them, represented thousands in their own verticals, in their own sectors and industries. And particularly a couple of them drove forward what would wind up being a 120,000 person march. Wow. 120,000 Slovaks got mobilized 
to come together in a way that they were not able to before. <laughs> Within days, the 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 government toppled. The, the prime minister resigned. The minister of interior resigned. And within uh, under a year, a young woman was kind of like a uh, Aaron Brockovich. You know, that's pretty. You know that Aaron. Yeah. So kind of like an Aaron Brockovichy kind of female lawyer in the north of Slovakia, who was an environmental law- lawyer trying to stand for the garbage dumps, not encroaching on whatever she was doing. Right, just a total do-gooder who would otherwise have no shot at getting elected in a in a in a mostly macho kind of society. Yeah. Within a year, big against every single odd every every precedent became the president of Slovakia, backed by these people wow. who could never come together, who united for her presidency. She is now currently the president of Slovakia and is facing the Ukraine war as their neighbor. It, she's incredible. Her name is Susanna Chapatova. It's three days in a basement. That's unreal. Yeah. So now when I go there, I work with, in a more extended way, with the um, people that originally were part of that miracle. That movement, yeah. That movement that are now out to uh, increase society's awareness of what's really got them is their past. Hmm. Not what it looks like, which is the other guy, right? So, and that's—I mean, really—that's empowering to realize that you have some agency there, where you may—you might have previously been viewing the world as, you know, we're just a helpless victim of our circumstances. You know, what what could we possibly do in small town central Alberta where? Of course, churches are disappearing. It's like you're, you know. Of course, the doctor is going to leave. Of course, the school is going to shrink and then eventually shut. And and you know, we all have these stories about what our circumstances are that are limiting us. Not view and as opposed to viewing it as you know, we have this agency. We can take responsibility. We we are the only thing that's stopping us. Us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, look at Basha. Basha has done this work for seven years or more. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know where you would find a statistic like when they got a hold of their default context, their default filter for each other. I mean, they're like a light in the dark. I mean, where, what other community goes from 37 kids in the juvenile justice system to zero? It's <laughs> pretty incredible, hey? It's ridiculous. I mean, a study was just done on them, yeah. And they said it was underestimated at eleven to one was the return on investment to have a you know, and you know, it goes back full circle, Ben, to you saying the work we're going to do with you know churches and the community of churches. But where else do you get an eleven to one return on investment for having a you know, couple guys say stupid stuff for a day? Um, you get an eleven to one, and the one who measured it said. We didn't interview the school and we didn't interview the, the RCMP or else it would have been in the neighborhood of 30 to 1, yeah. which they said that was an investment. They, they'd never even come close to 11 to 1, much less the true ROI, SROI, social return on investment, actually being 30 to 1, unprecedented. But that's what happens when you get it at the root, not at the symptoms. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So what do you think is in store for whoever decides to come and join us on November 4th in Basha at the United Church where we're going to say some stuff for a day? <laughs> like we're going to sit around in a circle. We're going to talk. We're going to have some lunch and have some supper. And and yeah. I'm sure I, I, I'm laughing because I already know that a lot of the people who are going to come to this thing have probably already decided what it's going to be and yeah, you know what they're going to walk away with from it and that it's going to just be another meeting and or I don't really even want to go to that because I don't have time for another meeting and it's all doomed yeah. anyway or yes and <laughs> you know like well it's you know it's normal like it's yeah yeah this is not you know thir 13 ways to kill your community or this is a helpful workshop on this or I get it. I get it. Well, what else, what else are anybody going to use, but their past to mm -hmm. assess this future? That's how people, that's what people do. Mm -hmm. When Debbie took your Valentine in grade four, you were just not free to give another Valentine to another girl that year or the next year. You used your past to predict your future. Mm -hmm. That's and how it all, works. And we've all been to meetings before. <laughs> we've all been, to, we've all been to meetings that were useless. Yeah, we've all been to a strategic planning session to write a new For vision because sure. that was going to change uh, everything. Yeah, uh, more hope, more more visioning Plans. and hope. And rah rah rah, and we can do it too. That has failed, and this is one more failure waiting to happen. I can totally get it. Who's not had that in their past? So what I would say to people like that is no problem. I get it. I get it. But see the. The deal is, are you going to keep living from that cynicism, which completely dooms you? Or are you willing to break loose of that orbit one more time, hoping beyond hope this could be different because you've mm -hmm. done it before? And maybe it'll be a bust. Maybe we talk about totally stupid shit that day. I don't know. Maybe we do. Probably not. Probably you're going to have to look in the mirror. So don't come if you're not going to look in the mirror or you're not really willing to investigate the way you got it. Mm -hmm. Because know-it-alls like me take down, <laughs> take it down more than one meeting. Okay. <laughs> no, but, but you know, if you're open and you could kind of open up your mind, your heart a little bit, it'll be very, very valuable. Yeah. And I, I mean, to be really honest with you, I, I actually feel really optimistic about it because, uh, our team, our Rising Spirit Ministry team, have had a number of meetings already where we've uh, explored, you know, what could what could be possible in our area, in our region here in Central Alberta, where we have a lot of other small communities that are dealing with a lot of the same things that we're dealing with, and we're maybe at a different, slightly different point in the journey where our Rising Spirit Ministry team has developed some stuff. We've been kind of tinkering and playing and getting creative and and finding new possibilities for innovation and collaboration between us here in Basha and the Kenokee United Church group. And we've got some stuff that we can share. And we've, so we've had some meetings and the response has been really like a lot of excitement and a lot of like, there's a lot of possibility here. We want to do more. And of course you, you sometimes run into just, you know, time goes by, you know, a few months, a few more months goes by and nothing's really happened yet. And, and so I, I see this, uh, this workshop as, as like the kindling's already there. And mm. we've got some really great dry kindling that is ready to just burst into flames and, and some big stuff mm. can, can happen mm. quickly if we get some people together in the room 
who are genuinely ready to take action and ready to be involved in something. Mm -hmm. And like you said, even more importantly, ready to look in the mirror, ready to look at Mm -hmm. the, the, the mindset that they have inherited or have, Mm -hmm. you know, unwillingly and unknowingly adopted that might be Mm -hmm. creating some limitations they weren't aware of. I think we're Mm going to end up with a lot of people uh, in the room that are willing to do that work. Man, I've been around your neck of the woods. You have, you have so many, so many committed people that are already open and, you know, totally. And, you know, a lot of them have now in some way, shape or form touched this work. So they've empowered themselves even more with, you know, they're already natural wanting to, to make a difference. They've already, some of them actually have some of this under their belt. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's exciting. It's really exciting. What's, what's possible when you get that, those people together. Um, one of the, dis- one of the, uh, the terms or distinctions that I've heard you use a lot is transformational growth versus just, oh, you know, let's, like we said, let's go through the motions of another strategic planning session. There, there's this like step change sort of disruptive, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. Like transformation is such a great word for it. And even in the circles of, you know, thinking about it spiritually, there is a transformative property. Like what, Mm -hmm. what, what is being created is so distinctly different and new Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. what was that. What Mm. else can you call it, but a transformation. Mm. And we look around and in the world, there are so many things in need of transformation. What, where Mm -hmm. it's like the only thing that's going to, work here is for this Mm. to be transformed not just Mm -hmm. well let's let's find a government grant and try to survive and hold on for another three years doing exactly what Mm -hmm. we've been doing for the last you Mm -hmm. know couple decades stuff needs to get transformed um what what could you share about that distinction of Mm -hmm. transformational growth versus Mm. what we've traditionally uh maybe experienced Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, it's, it's the difference between let's, let's, uh, get, let's get a bigger sausage than Mundare <laughs> or a shinier egg than Vegreville. Right. Or if you go to Northern Ontario, it's what in Wawa, they have a goose, a tree planted there for four summers, the Wawa goose. Yeah. I've seen right? the goose. Let's, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's get a, you know, that's nothing wrong with all that. When, when, see, here's the deal. When the first goose or the first sausage or the first whatever was born, that really was a state change. That was like, that was like, whoa, at that time, that was new. So it's nothing against those iconic kind of statues or landmarks, right? But at some level, to add one more sausage to the landscape of sausages is not transformation anymore, if it ever was. It is now incremental, you know, whatever that is. So transformation lies in a shift in paradigm. So when we use the word transformation, we're talking about a shift in paradigm. We're not talking about doing more, better faster of what we already do that's continuous improvement mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. continuous improvement is great continuous improvement is getting a getting to mach one you know 
you know, but then, you know, then to get to get to Mach 2, Mach 3, okay, great, great. But you know what? That ain't going to get you to the moon. Making a better airplane is not a rocket. Yeah. It's just not. And by the way, that's NASA found that out the hard way. They really discovered a they needed a shift in paradigm, not something that could go faster for longer all the way to the moon, which is, of course, how human beings think. Mm-hmm. They think, oh, we'll just do more of what we do. Yeah. Until they, they see it can't happen. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden there's a paradigm shift. You know what the paradigm shift was? It was a hell of a shift. It was like, oh my God, we have got to build something that does not stay intact. <laughs> yeah. We have got to build something that loses parts of itself. Yeah. To finally let that little thing make it the distance unencumbered by the other parts that it just lost. What? See, that's a paradigm shift. Yeah. But without having that aha moment, that moment of like full blown, as you said, Ben, from from nothing, a creation. See, losing parts of what you have is not a better version of what was there. Mm-hmm. What's there is you don't lose anything. Well, Why would I lose anything? What also makes this harder is that when you're talking to to people who are involved in leadership roles in faith institutions and organizations, religious organizations, the whole thing around religion is often that we are entrenched in tradition. We have these principles and teachings and things that we cling to that are thousands of years old, that it's terrifying to challenge that, well, you know, maybe we could, you know, maybe we need to rethink uh, assigning this, you know, male gender to our deity, and that, you know, what we can't, we can't. You mean, you mean, that. you mean, I shouldn't actually stone you if you don't agree with me, and you're a woman, right? Like, obviously, we've come a long way, but yet we still have these elements of um, that entrenched are, that are exactly they're so entrenched that we cling on to that I think prevent us from having the freedom to really just question every, you know, we, and we have done some in Basha and and Pinocchio, we've already, um, we've done some pretty bold, crazy things. We've turned our churches into theater spaces. We've taken down that, that, uh, I don't even, I'm the chair of the board and I don't even remember what it's called, but the, the, um, the partition between, the front of the sanctuary and the congregation, we're like, well, you know, that's kind of in the way of us doing theater. Let's just get rid of it. <laughs> Let's, we've, we've done, uh, Robin and I, in, in an episode recently, we were talking about uh, the production we're doing, right, musical production we're doing right now, Moana. And we got talking about mm. how our community theater group is such an integral part of our church identity with the Bash United mm. Church. And we were talking mm. about past productions. We, we did the play, there's a musical called Aida. And the god of of uh, Horus, I think it's called, or something. The the eye of the eye of Horus. There's this eye that represents this god, this other god. And we made this giant, you know, cardboard eye, and we covered the cross at the front of the sanctuary with this thing. And people were like, "Yeah, that's fine." Like we 
we have come a long way in our community. Wow. Where we've been able to do some things that, you know, 20, 30 years ago, people would have just, they're it would amazing. Have just blown people's minds that like, well, you can't do that. Um, but, and then, and the results of, and what's come out of all that and what we've created and yeah. the community building and the, like you talked about yes. the return, the social return on investment, it, all of that has been incredible and, and wouldn't have happened if we hadn't said, well, Hey, wait a second, maybe things don't have to always be exactly the way they were. Yeah, I wonder what my current paradigm is, and I wonder where it makes a difference, and I wonder where at the same time it limits me. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. putting words in your mouth, Ben, but that's that's when you when you say share something that amazing, you see, you, you had to discover the paradigm that has been there that at some level excludes people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just with what you shared, how can you not grow? How can you not? People will now have the opportunity to find a sense of place in your arena where historically they may not have ever seen that as a as something they would find a sense of place in. Mm-hmm. So, duh, of course you're going to grow and have people that are grateful for it. At some level, it's not rocket science, is it? Talking about rockets, but but you did have to. And, and on the topic of rockets, see something got let go of. Yeah. So that metaphor, of letting go of something, is probably the most profound metaphor in our work. What is it that you can't see that's anchoring your mentality? That if you saw it, and you actually saw how it plays out in reality, you'd actually start to see it's untenable. Mm-hmm. And there'd be some natural wanting to let go of that which has been such a part of your identity. Why? Because you've given yourself a chance to examine it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which isn't going to just happen on its own without the intention and sometimes some coaching or uh, facilitation involved. Yeah, and a safe space and a, and a mm-hmm. you know, very insight, inquiry and a safe space and not being judged and you know there's a whole kind of environment that is required for mm-hmm. people to explore stuff which for them is is who they are yeah that's scary businessmen exploring stuff that i identify as me that's scary stuff it is <laughs> yeah it, it's terrifying and it doesn't uh, unfortunately it doesn't get less scary even if you've survived the the uh the journey yeah. of that rocket launch a few times yeah yeah but come on it's it it, it it's worth, worth it. it when yeah. you get to the other shore man it's 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 worth all the discomfort for the freedom you now have yeah it really is mm-hmm. well Vic, I think we should maybe wrap it up here for now. I feel like we could keep going for uh, for a lot longer and never run out of things to talk about, you and I. Um, but I've yeah. been, like I said, I've been looking forward to having you on this podcast for a really long time, and I'm really glad we, we finally made it happen. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to uh, open my mouth. <laughs> well, it's, it's just also great to get more of your story um, and to share that with our little community that we're building here. Um, and if, for people who are listening and enjoyed this conversation, there is, like I said, uh, 
you know, Vic, your, your partner, Kevin has been on the podcast. There are so many really crazy, fascinating, inspiring stories that have been shared on this podcast. We've got over a hundred episodes, uh, and we put out a new, uh, new episode every second Friday. And, uh, so I, I actually don't know what my, who my guest is going to be for sure two weeks from now. So if people are, are who are listening have ideas or suggestions of people that I should contact and reach out to, or Vic, if you have some suggestions as well, I'd be super open to uh, to contacting literally anybody. Like this is just a very uh, open and free space to share stories of human spirituality with our community. And uh, I think that people who are listening have, will have really enjoyed hearing yours. So thank you for, for sharing it, Vic. You're welcome. And I'll, I'll shoot you some Slovak names. How about that? Yeah, that'd let's be get awesome. international. Yeah, for sure. If anyone would like to check out more of your work, where uh, where would you like to point people to for information about Landmark Forum, about Unstoppable Conversations? Yeah, just I would go to you know uh, www.unstoppableconversations.com. Big mouthful there. Just go to our website. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to seeing you soon in Basher for our workshop on November 4th. If anyone's interested in that, yeah. you can also uh, get in touch with us through the website. Uh, and also the, our website is where you can find past episodes of this podcast. Robin's blog, weekly blog is on there. Lots of other resources and media. That's risingspiritministry.com. And of course, all of the episodes of this podcast are also on iTunes and wherever you listen to your podcasts. So Vic, thanks again so much. And to all our listeners, thank you for joining us. And until next time, take care and be well.